But welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you are with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments together. And uh, before we jump into our series, I do want to remind you of a wonderful resource. It's called the Version. In fact, now would be a great time to search for it in your app store. It's uh, absolutely free, has an amazing number of translations of the Bible, all kinds of topics you can search for. And if you go under events, search for Arlington FM, you'll find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Well, uh, we are in a series uh, that I'm really excited about. It's called Future Church. And uh, the subtitle is Get Used to Different. And here's the truth. Uh, God is doing something new with his church. In fact, uh, it's kind of shape-shifting. You know, the church is going through an amazing uh, uh, amount of transition along with our world, and uh, we should get used to that because the truth is, uh, though the truth does not change, uh, God uh, is all about uh, reconfiguring, contextualizing, and uh, making uh, his church uh, fit for the work that he's doing in the world. And I happen to believe this, that when we participate with what God is up to, uh, in fact, Jesus said it like this, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. And I believe the application of that is when we prioritize what God is up to in the world and we align with that, uh, our lives really begin to uh, make sense and uh, everything begins to fit together within God's greater purpose. And so last week we saw uh, kind of one of the kernel truths of this series uh, was a simple prayer I came across a number of years ago. And the prayer simply said this, Heavenly Father, what are you up to today? And uh, can I be a part of that? Can I participate in what God is doing. I remember as a new follower of Christ, um, you know, I happen to believe one of the giftings that God has given me is the ability to articulate truth. And uh, as a brand new follower of Christ, I was with some people and uh, in kind of a small group setting and uh, just said some things uh, to one of the people in that group. And uh, afterwards, uh, she, she came and she thanked me for what I said and uh, she said, uh, the words you spoke and the way you said them uh, had life in them. And uh, something resonated in me. And uh, I realized that's what I wanted to do more than anything else. And uh, that's uh, kind of my uh, expression of that prayer. Father, what are you up to today? And would you allow me to be a part of that? Well, as we go through this series, uh, another way to look at it, the future church, is that we're looking at the church with a wide-angle lens, kind of like this picture we saw last week of the, the planet that we live on. And uh, people like those four uh, novices that are orbiting the earth right now, uh, when they look back upon this planet from a distance, it just feels different. And they return having been changed and seeing the world in a different way. And that's my hope as we uh, look at the future church uh, from afar, that it will impact us, will change the way we see uh, our role and the way we see the world that God has called us to serve. Well, last week we saw the, the future church uh, from John's Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. And in chapters 21 and 22, John describes 
uh, the church coming down from heaven, from God, as a new city, the new Jerusalem. And uh, we, uh, we itemize these attributes about the church of the future as John saw it. He saw the church uh, as overcoming the chaos and the conflict that is in the world. He saw the church as having this amazing bride of Christ relationship with Jesus. He saw the church had learned to live in the constant uh, presence of God, influencing their actions and their behaviors. Uh, he saw the future church as one that had been comforted from all of its disappointments and losses. But most amazing of all is uh, in John's vision of the future church, he saw it as the source of healing to all the nations of the world. Well, uh, today we're going to catch a different glimpse of the church, and we're actually going to go back to the ancient past uh, to look at uh, what the church is called to be and uh, we're going to look at uh, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, and uh, his name was King David. And uh, he had some experiences with God that allowed him to have a special insight into what God was up to in the world. Uh, now, if you don't know about uh, King David, he was the second king of ancient Israel. Uh, he was the one who pulled together kind of a random group of tribes into the nation of Judah and uh, under the monarchy of uh, his appointed leadership. Uh, you might know uh, King David gave birth to a son named Solomon, who eventually would build uh, the temple uh, in uh, Jerusalem uh, that really became known as one of the wonders of the world in that time. Well, uh, not all was smooth sailing for King David, this shepherd king. In fact, Many of his psalms, uh, they are songs that David authored uh, in the book of Psalms. Uh, many of those psalms come into the category of laments. And so David is, is kind of pouring his heart out to God about how difficult life has become. And he's inviting God to, into his circumstance. And that's a good thing to do. But uh, Psalm 40 is one of those psalms. Listen to these words. Uh, David says, I waited patiently. For the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry for help. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. And uh, I would just ask you, can anyone relate uh, to David uh, crying out to God in the midst of his turmoil, in the midst of his uh, miry bog that was pulling him down? Uh, his feet were slipping. And he said, God responded to me when I was in that difficult place. He goes on to describe uh, what God did for him. He says, God put a new song in my mouth. In other words, he stirred up a new sense of joy and gratitude, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see and will fear the Lord, and they will put their trust in him. Now, that's an important observation. Uh, when David goes through his challenges, and uh, he experienced God's help, uh, he's making it known that wasn't just for him. In fact, God did something for him so that he could brag about God and others would have a similar experience. Uh, God's uh, help for us is uh, always meant to bring blessings uh, to us and through us to others. Well, David goes on. He, he begins to recount uh, how numerous 
are God's expressions of kindness and help to him. He says, many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things that you have planned for us. See, as David experienced God, he realized it was just a thread leading to a revelation of the heart of God, that God is generous, that God, uh, God's disposition is to do wonderful things for people who look to him and trust him. In fact, he says, uh, many are the things that you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to try to articulate them and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Uh, you know, that may seem like an unusual experience of God, that as you think about him, uh, there are so many expressions of his goodness and kindness that you literally cannot put it into words. Well, I happen to believe that's God's desire to show himself uh, to all people in that way. Uh, well, David writes some words in his song that he never could have dreamed how significant they would become uh, as he's thinking about uh, his desperate need for God, how he called out to God and God met him, God helped him. And, and David's now thinking about the nature and the heart of God and uh, what it is that God expects of him. You know, that's a good uh, thing to ponder uh, when we think about the many expressions of God's goodness to us, what does he want in return? And so here's what David said. He said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. See, as David thinks about uh, what it is that God wants from people, uh, he his mind goes to the the system that David had helped uh, establish in Israel, which was uh, uh, established when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai. And he said, uh, look, these people that you're leading, they have some issues. They have some problems. Uh, they're my people, yes, but they have some uh, a sin issue. And so God established this uh, ritual, uh, this practice of how they would atone for and a, a cover and express repentance and receive a renewal to go on uh, this system of sacrifices. And uh, so it's surprising that as David's contemplating what it is that God wants from people in return for his kindness and his goodness, he, he immediately says sacrifices and offerings were not what pleased you, God. In fact, sin offerings you don't require uh, see, through the ups and downs of life, uh, as David did life with God, he became aware of something, that these rituals, these uh, ways uh, of atonement that God had set in place were not really what God wants for people. Uh, they were a system uh, that really was meant to point us to something different. In fact, when David says God doesn't desire these things. Uh, he's literally saying uh, God takes no pleasure in uh, people doing these ritualistic activities to somehow make atonement for their brokenness. Uh, God finds no pleasure in these things. In fact, David says in his estimation of things, God doesn't require this kind of activity from people. God's not interested in the things we do uh, to somehow minimize uh, our 
brokenness or our dark side. You know, David made a lot of choices that really complicated his life, that hurt his family, that disregarded uh, God's uh, lordship in his life. And uh, so David was aware of the need to cover up his inconsistencies. And as he thought about his interactions with God, what he came to realize is that God's not really in uh, to the religious activities that were so much a part of Israel's history. God wants something more. And maybe some good questions at this point was would be, well, if God's not into those things, why did they do them? And if God's not uh, doesn't take pleasure and doesn't desire those kind of ritualistic responses to him, what does he require of people? What did God require of David? Well, David hints uh, at his answer to this question uh, in his opening words. Uh, he says, God did not desire sin offerings and sacrifices, but he says, my ears you have opened. Well, that's an interesting statement. Uh, in the midst of considering these ritualistic activities uh, that once God required, David is now saying, look, my ears you have opened. In other words, uh, God has given me the ability to hear him and respond to him. Uh, I was... When I read those words, I was thinking about uh, something I uh, discovered about my ears when I was in college, that uh, not to give you too much information, but my ears have a propensity to accumulate things uh, inside. And uh, one time in, uh, in college, when my hearing felt like it was getting a bit dull, I went in to see the doctor, which I did about every five years back then, and uh, he said, well... Uh, we need to uh, perform a procedure on your ear canals uh, called the irrigation. And uh, I won't tell you some of the things that came out of uh, my inner ear, but uh, I can tell you this, when I left that office, my hearing was dramatically improved. In fact, I got in my old car, which uh, felt so smooth and good as I drove to the doctor's office. As I drove away, it sounded like a rat trap. It, was, it felt like it was falling apart. I could hear sounds in the engine I never heard before. And uh, all of that to say, you know, when your ears are opened, uh, you can hear things you hadn't heard before. And David, is he's alluding now to what God really wants from people. Uh, he says, my ears, God, you opened. Uh, somewhere in the chaos of life, I came to realize what God is really like, that he really doesn't demand uh, these sorts of uh, religious or ritualistic responses. What he really is after is ears that are attentive to him and a heart that is responsive. And that's exactly where David goes in his psalm. In verse 7, he says, Then I said, in response to what God really wants, uh, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will my God, and your law is within my heart. What David is really saying is that as he came to know God, what God wants most of all from him and from people is ears that listen to him and hearts that respond to him and really do present ourselves available to do his will. I love the way David says it. Here am I. Uh, it is written about me. This is what God really wanted for me from the beginning uh, was a heart that is responsive 
to his goodness. And that uh, out of that gratitude really does want to do everything that is in God's will. And uh, David literally says, God, you've, you've imprinted your ways on my heart. And that's what I want more than anything is to walk in those. You know, as uh, Israel's history went on from David, uh, this became a prominent theme that uh, God is not so much into the ritual, into the traditions, as he is into a heart that truly does uh, know him. And out of that knowledge of God responds in a way that honors and pleases God. Uh, listen, a couple of hundred years later, uh, Amos was a pretty fiery prophet speaking to Israel about its uh, disregard for the ways of God. And uh, here's what Amos uh, declares in uh, his short prophetic book, chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, Amos says, I hate, and speaking for God, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Uh, that's pretty strong language. And uh, he goes on, even though you bring me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, uh, says God. Uh, though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. What's going on? Uh, God is trying to set his people straight. I'm not into your uh, religious rituals. I'm not into those sacrifices when they cover up a heart that really doesn't respond to me. In fact, uh, Amos ends his rant with these words, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your guitars or your harps, but instead let justice roll on like a river, righteousness, righteousness like a never failing stream. See, uh, Amos was telling God's people, uh, God wants you to live out his values, not participate in these empty rituals. Well, the prophet Micah uh, has a similar theme, but uh, his words are a little kinder. But here's what Micah says. Shall I come before God with burnt offerings, with calves that are a year old, uh, choice calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, something that was used in a sacrificial offering. And basically, Micah is saying, look, I could do these things until I'm blue in the face, but is this what God really wants from people? And the answer is no. Uh, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What a poetic and poignant statement. Shall I offer the fruit of my body for the sin of of my soul. And then uh, Micah uh, gives his take on what God really wants from people. He says, uh, God has shown you, O mortals, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And see, th these are the ways that David uh, had become familiar with uh, to, uh, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God and, and not to think that uh, God was about a ritualistic activity that only pointed the way to him. Uh, well, um, 
Uh, fast forward uh, about a thousand years from David's psalm, and uh, you come to the birth of the Son of God when Jesus Christ, a God in the flesh, visited this planet. And amazingly enough, we'll find uh, Jesus used King David's words to frame his mission in this world, uh, to save this world. He used uh, David's humble words about what God really wants from people to frame his uh, activity of saving the world and uh, in carrying out this mission, uh, Jesus had little regard or for the religious activities of his time. Uh, not that he uh, minimized God's working in Israel, but the human expression that was divorced from a heart that honors God, uh, Jesus would have nothing to do with. In fact, uh, as he walked this earth and as he carried out his ministry, uh, in and around Jerusalem, he didn't love the things that the religious leaders loved. In fact, he didn't hate the people that they hated and ostracized. He didn't value uh, their legalism and their traditions and their laws and their judgments of people that they deemed less worthy than themselves. Uh, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He hung out with sinners. He touched lepers. He associated with people who held strange beliefs. He challenged uh, the, the leaders of his time as really uh, representing God. You see, Jesus understood what God really desires and what God really requires, and it has nothing to do with empty offerings or sacrifices or empty religious activities, but it has to do with hearts of compassion and mercy and justice and love and humility, uh, well, because of the way Jesus conducted his life and his mission in the world, the, the leaders of his time had a response. They killed him. They hung him on a cross because they were, they were offended uh, that he didn't, uh, again, embrace their arduous traditions. But God raised him up. It was part of God's plan that the Son of God would die for the sins of the world. Well, uh, now we press forward uh, a few decades, and uh, we come to a group of Christ followers who, who are going through a time much like we are in our world. Uh, again, as we said last week, a lot of political upheaval, uh, a lot of uh, conflict, a lot of misunderstanding about what God's up to in the world, a lot of division in the church. And uh, we come to a group of followers of Christ that were starting to revert to their Old Testament uh, heritage. They were going back to their sin offerings and their, their uh, uh, appeasement offerings and uh, their, all of the rituals that were meant to identify their allegiance with God and their living for God. And uh, interestingly enough, the writer to the Hebrews takes us back to David's psalm about what God really wants. Uh, we, we join uh, this letter in Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, here's what he writes. The law that you're returning to is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. They were not the realities themselves. Uh, for this reason, it can never, uh, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who would draw near to worship. In other words, uh, they're really not helpful in uh, 
creating the kind of people that are able to respond to God. Otherwise, uh, the writer says, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all, and they would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But these sacrifices are an annual reminder of the fact that people have a problem. Their sin has separated them from God. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then uh, these familiar words. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, this is what he said. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. So Jesus affirms. He uses the words of David to say, look, uh, really knowing and responding to God is not about any kind of ritualistic behavior. Uh, Jesus goes on, then I said, here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. Uh, first he said, now the writer uh, kind of underscores what Jesus uh, said when he introduced his ministry and when he went about his mission of restoring the world to God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, uh, though they were offered in accordance with the law. These were things God instituted. But then he said in verse 9, here am I. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, uh, the writer is uh, underscoring this truth for us, that when Jesus came into the world, uh, he made it very clear what God wants and what God doesn't want. And uh, he established, first of all, that God is not into sacrifices and offerings. He's not into our uh, uh, our obsessive, compulsive religious activity. Uh, Jesus made that very clear. And it's interesting, a whole lot of church history and current church activity could come under that heading of uh, obsessive activity and behavior that is really distant from the heart of God for people. Um, it's people doing religious things, assuming that God is pleased with those things. Uh, someone mentioned it in this way, places, programs, personalities, and people that we tend to create sacred places where we assume that God lives. We tend to obsess over sacred programs that we believe God is all about. Uh, we exalt sacred personalities and gobble up their books and listen to their teachings because we believe that God's will is made clear through those personalities. And uh, we tend to associate with people we consider sacred or set apart from the uh, masses that are distant from God. Now, we exaggerate a bit, uh, but these are tendencies that we can get into that actually distance us from the heart of God. Uh, uh, many of the New Testament writers uh, warned us about these sorts of activities uh, James said that when you gather together, uh, there's preferences among you, so much so that you might be better off not gathering. Uh, Paul said as much 
in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, see, they are good things uh, done with the wrong attitudes. Uh, they are uh, virtuous things uh, done with hearts that are not responsive to God. And uh, God's response uh, through his prophets, through his scripture, uh, through the Son of God would be, don't bother. Uh, don't bother filling your 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 life and your schedules and your calendars with with religious duties and obligations uh, that that have somehow been divorced from the will of God to walk humbly to show mercy and kindness and love uh, you know uh, I think that it's kind of a basic human tendency uh, to once we feel like we've kind of got God figured out uh, to go about our own thing in our own way. I, I love the example of uh, Peter, you know, who is so representative of so many of us as a, as a humble follower of Christ. But uh, Peter was allowed to be with Jesus on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, in Matthew's gospel, we're told that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and uh, he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was changed. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah interacting with Jesus. And now here's Peter uh, and his reactionary response. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters or booths, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And so Peter immediately shifts into, well, what, what does the Old Testament say about what we should do when God shows up? And uh, he starts engaging in what probably would have been some sort of habitual response for him. And we're told in verse 5, uh, while he was still speaking, while Peter is still uh, blurting out what would be a good plan, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, Hey, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And uh, Peter is really brought back to the conclusion David came to and that Jesus lived for, that there's one thing God wants more than anything else from people. It's ears that hear him and hearts that respond to his will. It's a humble uh, compliance, an alignment that uh, wakes up each day and says, God, whatever you want today is what I want. And uh, it, it finds application in many situations, how we spend our time, how we prioritize our day, how we contend for our rights. Uh, it could be something so simple as uh, uh, having a, an afternoon planned, and then realizing that your neighbor needs a friend or your kids need someone to spend some time with them and giving up your own plan in order to open up to what would be more in the heart of God for your day. Well, uh, what does God want from his people? What does God expect from us? Uh, these are good questions to ask. And as we think about the future church, uh, I know this that uh, one of the hallmarks of the church that, that God is retooling for this next season of life is that there will be an inclination uh, to let go of the things 
that need to be let go of in order to embrace the things that are better. And see, the writer makes that very clear, is that first Jesus said these things have to go in order that this thing can be established. Uh, I would say it like this, get used to different, uh, become open, uh, more pliable, uh, and more willing uh, to surrender uh, our prerogatives, our priorities, our people, our programs, our places, and open up to those simple things that God has for us and the response of obedience to the will of God that is everything that God desires of people. Uh, well, I, I would like to end uh, with a, uh, a proclamation, an invitation that is probably familiar to many of you. And uh, uh, I'll preface it with the words of a song that uh, when I first became a follower of Christ, uh, this song was big. And uh, I think it really did express what matters to God. It was by a guy named Andre Crouch. And the song was, To God Be the Glory. And uh, there was one line in that song that, that always stayed with me. And uh, it simply said this, um, uh, if I should gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. And there was this sense that uh, Andre wanted to live his life in such a way that it spoke about the work and, and the graciousness and the kindness of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, in another verse of that song, he said, just let me live my life and let it be pleasing God to thee. And uh, so that's the invitation and uh, the scripture that I want to leave you with, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, says this. Uh, Therefore, uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and I would do the same this weekend. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of all that God has done for us, in view of his incredible generosity and mercy and giving us all things through Jesus Christ, Paul says, I urge you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, Here am I, God. Send me, we would say. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, Paul says, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow God to put his thoughts in our minds and in our hearts, and sometimes that means setting down, uh, letting go of our own, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Let me pray with uh, you before I let you go. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the revelation of who you are, that you are good, that you are compassionate, that you are merciful. Uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, when you came, you reaffirmed the words of, of your servant David and saying that God's not really interested in our compulsive religious activity. He's not interested in the things we do to to somehow make up for our brokenness. Uh, And God's certainly not interested in our defending him and uh, taking up activities that somehow protect the glory of God. What God is interested in, what pleases him, is ears that are open Uh, to his voice and hearts that are responsive to his will. And Lord, uh, when you lived that out, when you offered your life in obedience to God, the result 
was you made a way for others to come to God. And Lord, we know that's at the heart of your mission for your church. The future church will be riveted on how we can offer ourselves to God so that God can make himself known to others. And Lord, we would just pray that right now, that uh, you would give us hearts that are tender and responsive, pliable, receptive. Uh, Lord, you talked about the different kinds of soil. And when your word came to good soil, it flourished. It produced a crop, 10, 20, and 100 fold. And Lord, whatever condition our hearts are in today as we hear these words, would you make them new? Would you make them open? Would you make them receptive to the, to the wonderful things that you want to speak to us? Open our ears, God, so that we can hear your voice today and walk in your will. And if, uh, if you're hearing these words and you, you need to receive Jesus Christ, you need to uh, put your hope in him, your faith in him, I would encourage you, uh, you know, that's only a, a step of faith away. In fact, Jesus said, whoever uh, believes in me, uh, will have eternal life. And uh, I would encourage you right now, just say, Lord, I, I need you. I, I put my trust in you. I want to I know God the way that you revealed him. And I want to walk in his will. And I pray that you would bring your leadership into my life. I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.